Welcome to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. Here are your hosts, Jared and Zach. Well, welcome back to Puzzling Company. We are here in the Deadbolt Mystery Society studio. It's me, Zach. Obviously, I think everyone knows who I am. I'm probably the cooler of the two, uh, but I will introduce the other host, Wow, Jared. Hi, Jared. Just insta shade. I was about to like get on here and say how great of a team that you and I, plus all of our patrons, are in the Cryptex hunt and how like we're gelling and we're really enjoying that process. And then just unprovoked shade being thrown. This is where I get to throw my shade out at you. How it's dare just alive. you? Man, I was I was doing good before we started the <laughs> podcast. I was I was feeling great. Now I'm just like, am I not cool? Like, no, Jared, you're you're super cool. I don't think I had any illusion that I was cool. Do I want to be cool? I don't know. You're Too cool many to questions. Too many questions. But I will say I did feel really cool playing the game that we were talking about today, Detective City of Angels. Oh, yeah? I felt and just let my inner 1940s noir detective out, and I have no regrets about that. It was really fun getting to play in this game and the different roles that we will talk about in the next section. Stick around. Jared, how do they do it? How do they do what, man? Scarlet Envelope every month sends me a new game with a new story and new formatting, but it all works so well. Dude, I know. It's like one month I'm catching a serial killer in the 50s. Right? But then when another one, we had to stop the second Galaxy War. I know. And then the next month, I'm trying to rescue a dragon in the medieval kingdom. It's just crazy that every month they keep sending out a new game that also leads up to like this crazy secret society element. It's a gift. I don't know how they do it, but here's what I do know. If you want to go to scarletenvelope.com and use code PUZZLINGCOMPANY, all one word, you can get $10 off their catch-up bundle, which is a whole series of 13 games. Or you could just sign up monthly and journey with it. They're so fun. I'm so excited for the next one. I can't wait. Well, welcome back. We are still here in the Deadbolt Mystery Society studio. If you haven't played a Deadbolt game before, you totally should. We are here in the first section. In this section of the show, this is where we get to talk about the game that we played, which is Detective City of Angels. We get to talk about the likes of the game. We talk about the room for improvements, if we think there are some for the game. Just a kind of a nice back and forth for me and Jared to kind of like review the game as a whole and what we thought of it. Yeah, I really enjoyed this mm-hmm. a lot. And a lot of that is because of the game modes. And we won't dive in too much on them right now as we do our room for improvement. We're going to look at each game mode, say what we liked about it. So where we felt like there was some room for improvement. But this game on a core level, for a lot of our crime folks out there, it's going to feel, regardless of which mode you play, more like a board game mm-hmm. and less like rifling through immersive papers like you would in a Unsolved or in a Killing Affair or one of those games like uh, Murder & Co. Like it is turn-based mm-hmm. and that is regardless of the modes that you're in. So you're waiting for other people to make moves. A lot of it, and I think this is super appropriate for Los Angeles in the 1940s, it feels like Clue on Cocaine is yep. the best way that I can describe it for some of the modes. But 
we want to start by with the most basic mode. And by the end of this, you should understand classic mode, which is what the game mostly is built for. So Zach, why don't you kick us off? What is happening in sleuth mode? And then we'll talk about what we really liked in each of those respects. Yeah, so there are three different game modes. The first we will discuss is Sleuth. In Sleuth, you are all working together as detectives to solve the case. So it's, it's it's 100% cooperative, like correct. what we're used to. Yes, you, like Jared and I, when we played it as an example, we played as one detective and just worked together the entire time. We took turns, like I would do the first four moves, then Jared would do four. We would discuss between each other, like what to do. It's purely cooperative. And that's how Sleuth works. You are just trying to complete the case and get the right answer. Yeah, and it's really unique. Zach mentioned you get four moves. That's per turn. Yes. Because in sleuth mode, you have simple actions where you can explore a location or search a location or question a suspect, and you are spending these moves, I would say, every turn, and then at the end of your turn, a new day starts. Yes. And you only have a limited number of days to solve the case in sleuth mode. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was really enjoyable because it still runs on that deductive reasoning, but there's one big mechanic that runs throughout the whole game that we really, really like, and it gets better, in my opinion, every game mode that we're going to talk about. But that is when you talk to someone, you don't know if they're telling the truth or not. Yes, there is a mechanic for each of the suspects that they have a most useful answer slash the most like honest answer. And then it goes to any answer in between telling a pure lie. Some of them are kind of more jokey answers, misleading you to places sometimes. Yes. But you have mechanics based on that so that you can question suspects and push them on the info that they've given you. So as an example, I could push a suspect and they tell me like, get lost bozo. And I'm like, okay, I know they know more than just saying (laughs) get lost bozo. So I question them on it. And if it, if that was not the most useful answer, which I don't think it is, and it turns out to be not the most useful then I gain leverage over that suspect. And so that what that means is that you get a question that you can ask them and they cannot tell you the wrong answer. They have to tell you the most useful. It's part game of bluff. Yeah. And that's what makes this really one of the characteristics that makes this experience really dynamic Mm -hmm. compared to what we're used to playing. Because one of the things that we realized in going through this is when we play a lot of the other crime games, you're not often gathering information from a character. Everything is usually post information that you are just working logically through. Mm -hmm. So it was really fun for these characters to feel alive in all game modes, but it does have its limitations in sleuth mode. So let's, let's go back. Zach, I want to talk first about what we really liked about sleuth mode. And then we can talk about what it feels like improvement would look like in this section. What did you really like? I just like that they've kind of formatted the game to make sense in sleuth mode. Like almost the game gets readjusted or reorganized to become sleuth mode, you know, because the game almost functionality wise works. Like when you get the box, it kind of explains how the base game set up, explains how head to head works, you know, and what you take out of it, what you put in. But sleuth mode almost fundamentally changes a big part of the game, like and how it works. And it gives you a book instead and goes, this is what you're going to do instead of that game mode. And then it re-puts other info or pieces that you've gotten to different uses. Yes. So instead of like leverage in a certain way against a element that we aren't going to talk about yet, but it's a big part of the other two modes, 
is you gain stress when you fail, like pushing a suspect, you know, and that makes it to where if you fail three times in terms of pushing suspects to give you the most useful answer and you're wrong, you get a day moved up on the final day, which starts counting against you, which starts up the game. And it was just really cool because there are, as you're about to learn, there's so many cool mechanics in the other game modes, but they just very elegantly made it simpler taking things out but adding like zach was talking about the stress system it worked yeah it worked really really well and i really enjoyed that but i will say moving into the room for improvements if you're out there and you are someone that just plays purely cooperative games and you're looking at this and you're like i would only buy this game to play sleuth mode i don't think that's worth your money if you're buying Detective City of Angels, which is one thing we should mention. There's nine different cases in the original box, and then there's also some expansions. If you're saying, I just want to play sleuth mode on these nine different cases, I think you have better value going the route of a Sherlock Holmes consulting detective, or like we said, one of the many other murder cold case, any of the other ones that I feel like give more realism and broader range to the deductive reasoning. But as we're about to say, if you have any interest in head to head or classic, this game is sick. So, Zach, talk us talk us a little bit now about ramping up the complexity a little and what happens in head to head mode. Yeah. So the complexity definitely jumps. You start gaining a few more elements in head to head. The first big thing that I will introduce into head to head that also comes into classic that is probably the biggest element of the game is the chisel. Oh, I love the chisel so much. The chisel is a very fun role. Explain, like, what is the chisel? You essentially are a mix of a game master for a, like, escape room-esque board game, but you're also, like, a dungeon master in D&D. So, to be clear, this is not a role that is participating in solving the case. Correct. It's somebody outside of the game working, would you say, against? For? How? What is, who is this chisel? What's he all about? Or what is she all about? Yeah, so the chisel's role is to make the experience fun for everyone. Now, on you, you can decide how that plays. It is purely almost like a dungeon master in D&D. You want the people to succeed to a degree. Like, you want to have fun. You want the group to try to have the best experience they can. But you win if they all fail. So if you like, you could play mostly devious against them, but there are elements of the game that you gain leverage over them, like with the whole questioning suspects, because you basically play as the suspects. The other big difference is that when you play in sleuth mode, you get a book that plays as the chisel. Like the book has all the answers and it tells you, oh, go look for this answer. And it wasn't that intimidating. Like, I think a lot of people out there are, would be scared to be the chisel they do a really good job of explaining that. And I think that's overall a big shout out to this game. The complexity of information that they simplify and organize into a really solid user interface, whether you're a player or especially if you're the chisel, I thought was really well done. Yeah. And it it isn't like a, like improv thing. Cause like Jared will tell you, I am not good at deceptive games at all. No, but he was very good as the chisel, but the chisel lets me get to play deceptively because a lot of it is not on you to present the info. As an example, whenever you ask a suspect a certain question, you are given response cards that have answers on four sides of the card. And you are given this sleeve to put it in where they can only see the one answer that you present to the detective at the time. 
So Jared will ask me a question about a certain suspect and I will give him an answer. And it lets me look at the book and pick, do I want to be the most useful to Jared and give him the right answer? Or do I want to like trick him a little bit and see if he questions me on it? And it was fun because it's not like I have to, Jared will tell you, like when we play these games, if I had to tell him straight to face to face and try to lie to him, he'll figure it out pretty quickly. I'm going to get you nine out of but every he, 10 But if I can him. sit there and think about it and just put a card in, Jared has no idea. And that's what was so fun about the chisel is Zach and I on different game modes, both got to be the chisel and then play opposite the chisel. It just creates this really fun, I would almost call it like a meta experience Yes, where I'm looking at Zach outside of the immersion of the story and saying like, are you going to BS me right now? Like, are, are you lying to me? And especially with people that you know, I think this is a really fun game because you're just like trying everything you can to read the chisel. Because if you call the chisels bluff, you gain an advantage over the chisel as the game goes on. But if you incorrectly call that bluff, then the chisel gains advantages on you in the future and can deny answering your question. Yeah, you can straight up just stop it. Just straight up just stop it. So it creates this really unique balance. And it's like Zach said, it's not heavy role playing. It's not very complex. There is some complexity to it, but most of that comes in just learning the role beforehand. Yes. And I just love that dynamic. Zach and I played the chisel, the head-to-head mode. We played it one-on-one for a couple of rounds. And then we played it where I was the chisel against four other detectives that were running against the map. And it is fun because if you want to play hardcore jerk chisel and play us versus them, you can do that. And then it creates in essence, a way for the chisel to play the game. Yes. But I think the way that Zach and I often found us, it's like, I'm going to be a jerk sometime, but I really don't want to ruin these four people's experiences. Yeah. I, when we played one V one, I basically was lying to you about half the time and the other half I wasn't. And then when we played as a big group, I pretty much as much as possible, tried to keep it where I would be as mostly honest, but I would throw in occasional things that I felt like were just enough of like a trick that you wouldn't question me on it. And basically no one ever did, which was really fun because when in later, like, like, uh, Allie had found out that I had lied to her about something and she was like, <gasps> And I was like, help, no one questioned me on it. And I was like, all right, this nobody, is going to be fun. Nobody pushed you. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it just really is very, very unique. And to the point where I would say like this is, I think, it's not my favorite mode, but I don't have a lot to say in Room for Improvement with this mode because it offers your team to play mostly cooperative. And then if you just have that one person that likes being... Uh, a little bit nefarious or a little bit devil's advocate, that's the perfect role for them. And Zach is a very analytical, thoughtful person, really took on that role and I thought played it very well. Thank you. Uh, but I want to I want to move forward to classic mode because this was my favorite. This is what the bulk of the rules are written to. This mm-hmm. is how the game is supposed to exist in the majority of its plays, I think. You don't have to. Yeah. Um, but walk us through now the game in its fullest sense with all of its mechanics in play. There's a lot. Uh, and I don't think we have to go into the minutia, but like give us some example of now how things change because what's happening now, the biggest change in classic is the detectives are out for their own glory. Yes. There's no cooperative element. The chisel is playing for their self 
and each detective is trying to solve the case before the other detectives. Like Clue. Now it feels like Clue. Yeah, I mean, Jared explained most of it. It is purely non-cooperative anymore. It is purely a competitive game. The difference in terms of mechanics is you gain certain things as well. You gain more advantages in the game. Um, You gain a few different currencies. One is Scratch. Um, It's essentially the money of the game in terms that you can spend money to do certain actions that you couldn't before in the other two game modes. You know, you could pay off a police officer to go gain information for you. You could go and bribe a detective to gain info from them. You can go to clubs and gain money by going to that and spending a turn. So on and so forth. And it is really fun because my favorite element of it is the... So they have a, a mechanic in both Sleuth and Head to Head where when you gather information, it becomes public to everyone. Yes. Automatically. In classic mode, there are certain cards that you get that when you gain evidence or learn of something, it tells you to take it. And so as an example, Jared reads a card when he searches location. It tells him to take evidence card J. Jared takes it. Now, no one else at the game knows of that information. Jared gets to keep it all to himself unless people who are also in the game spend money and do certain actions to try to either bribe Jared or send a police officer to go gain it for him. But it's not public to everyone at first. So at the beginning, Jared might have an like an advantage over people because he learns a certain like piece of information that's useful about a certain suspect. He learns about maybe a weapon, whatever, so on and so forth. But it, it was hilarious seeing all of them being like, I don't know what he has. Like, what, <laughs> what do you learn? And then, you know, one of the detectives goes, Oh, I'm going to go move to like 67 on the map. And everyone else is like, why are they moving to 67? Do they know something? You're like, I don't have any information on 67. 67. Why are they going there? (laughs) You know, so it became, it was really funny watching all of them have that. But then the other element I like is that there's this mechanic of snitching. You can send a snitch to go gain information for you. And you basically get to do a like pass or go in on it. And you pay currency to do that. And it happens every time anyone asks a question. It's just a lot of fun. It was hilarious watching. I luckily got to play Chisel that game. And it was hilarious watching them all gather information at different times. And Jared had a theory about where like the end of the game was and what you were getting. And I was like, there's no way. I was like, there's a certain card that he doesn't have that would. But I had the right principle. Oh, you did. Yes. But I there was. Yes, there was information I did not know yet. But, but it was still fun because. It brought me back to a couple episodes ago when we played Crimes and Capers. Yeah. And there was just that paranoia that someone was going to solve it before you or exactly what you said. Like, why in the world are they going to 67? I don't know anything about that location. Should I be going to 67? It was fun for me as a player, but I'm sure it was also more fun for Zach, who knew all of the locations and all of the answers to say, like, be sitting there going smugly like, I know why they're going to 67. Like The really fun part of the, these games and all the cases is as the cases go harder, there are different difficulties of games. Um, they start off as gumshoe, and then I forget the names of the difficulties for the medium and hard range ones. But essentially, the beginning ones don't have many special rules. They're pretty simple in terms of these are the suspects, these are the cards you have, go at it. What I really did enjoy about all the different cases they offer is that it does become more complex, but then they add all these really fun special rules. Yes, So as an example, in one of them, like the one they played, it wasn't the traditional ones that we had played at the time yet. So as an example, most of the ones we played, we're trying to figure out who who did the crime. And it's generally like a murder mystery. It felt like a classic murder mystery. And then you get to game three, and that's what we were all expecting. And Zach just has this curly smile, and he's like, 
Today, it's a bank robbery. Yep. And it's on them to not figure out who did it, but where the money is. And oh, it, it was great. And so then they added like special cards, which was probably my favorite part because I was essentially waiting for someone to get the first mystery card because it gained a ton of info. And I was like, I, I hope someone gets this. And Jared's brother got it. And my favorite part about that card was that I was happy someone got it because one of the rules with it was no one else can see that information until the next day when it becomes public to everyone. Un- unless they wanted to unless show it. Unless they wanted to show it early. Correct. But Brendan did not want to show it early. So it was hilarious with all of them knowing that he gained that info from a certain location and that they couldn't get it until he just decided That's to give brutal. it to him the next day. It's brutal. So all of them were like, okay, well, he went there, but is it really worth me to go there? Because he has that info. And we're like, well, you basically have to wait to see what he gets. It was so fun having all the extra rules and seeing the new cards and like putting in new elements of the game. It kept, and then there's certain uh, like evidence cards when everyone sees it, like a new element gets added in. It was really fun to get to explore everything. And that's what made this great is I haven't seen the best crossover yet between what feels like a real board game and what feels like a real mystery game like we're used to playing. And this did that very, very, very well. Yeah. My wife who does not like complex board games and honestly doesn't even really like sometimes Zach and I will invite her to like play this. She's like, I'm okay. She came to me the day after we played this game. She's like, can, can we play more of that? Like, I really liked that. And that spoke volumes to me. I was like, okay, clearly Van Ryder games has a winner here Yep. because it is, it, it almost simultaneously introduces you and onboards you into deductive mystery games and into board games that offer a little more complexity. Oh yeah. And like you said, the range and the iteration between episodes, like we only played four of the nine games and are covering four of the nine games for this episode. But I doubt that this will go unplayed in future game nights very recently. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like it will, we're super excited to try out the more advanced stuff. Mm -hmm. Zach, I, I gotta say though, I had one beef with classic mode. Oh, yeah. And this may have just come with playing the full five players, the four detectives in the chisel. I thought there was way too much time per each individual's turn. Agreed. It definitely ended up being, I think it took us, I think the game basically ended up being two hours. And that's, we sped up to try to. I think it was like two and a half. Well, we technically talked for a bit before, but I think the actual gameplay was two hours long. And that was with everyone noting that it was almost midnight. And basically everyone like, we need to speed this up now. So if, if we didn't even do that, I think it would end up being like two and a half hours. Like and it says gaming. that it says on the, like it, I don't want to like go out of the way and say like, it doesn't say that. Like it clearly says on the box 30 to 150 minutes. I, I will say though, as kind of a devil's advocate to it is that I think a lot of this game is understanding the mechanics and knowing like what you can do. So when, we had to introduce everyone late at night to classic mode where there's a bunch more mechanics and things you can do. That's a fair point. I think it just took people longer to understand what they could do. I think once you get everyone like to understand it, all the rules and get really into the competitive part, I think it is by far the most enjoyable or it could be the most entertaining experience of the three. My personal favorite, I think is still head to head because I enjoyed the competitive, like getting people to cooperate, but still have someone play like, a little bit of like a GM slash DM. Like it gives me Dungeons and Dragons, like literal vibe. Yes. Does that make sense? I, I think that's good. So yeah, if you're out there, if you're 
a board gamey person looking for some type of mystery game, or if you're a mystery person that wants to jump into a good turn-based game with mechanics, this really was a lot of fun. It mm-hmm. was very different from what we are traditionally playing, but I'm so glad we played it because it's perfect for what we talk about. And again, it draws from those adjacent spaces that we're always talking about. And it kind of is showing me again and again, like the walls between these adjacent spaces are very thin. Mm-hmm. So I, I hope to see more games like that. It would be interesting. And we, I'm sure this is out there, but we haven't seen it. I haven't seen more of an escape room play like this. Adventure games felt a little bit like that, but felt akin to this. But I think this is very, very unique and a lot, a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Well, that is going to wrap us up for our first section. We have Puzzles to the People coming at you next. Solve puzzles, write reviews, win prizes. It's time for Puzzles to the People. Man, I'm just really enjoying Deadbolt Mystery Society games lately. They're just giving me a real sense of nostalgia. Yeah, I've been really enjoying them. My favorite part about them is they just feel balanced. You get a little bit of an escape room, a little bit of a murder mystery. It kind of reminds me of those cartoon TV shows I grew up on. Same. There's one I'm specifically thinking of. It kind of involves a dog and some humans in it. Oh, the Jetsons. I love that show. Okay, close but wrong. No, they kind of like solve mysteries together. Oh, Courage the Cowardly Dog. Okay, they don't solve mysteries. Courage literally does random things. Jared, I was specifically trying to tell you it's Scooby-Doo. That doesn't sound right. No, no, no. Blue's Clues. Okay, they are solving puzzles and mysteries, but no, 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 no. I'm talking about Scooby-Doo. Well, at least the good thing for our listeners is if you like adult Scooby-Doo, you can play a Deadbolt Mystery Society game. And when you want to go purchase one, you can put in the promo code PC15 for 15% off subscriptions and single one-time boxes. No, I've got it. It's Air Bud. Jared, that's a real-life dog. That's not even animated, and he doesn't even solve crimes. Welcome back, everybody, to Puzzling Company here in the Deadbolt Mystery Society studio. If you haven't tried a Deadbolt Mystery Society game, do it. We actually ran into people today that said, oh, yeah, I have those games at home. I enjoy those. And I was like, that's weird because we don't hang out with a whole lot of people. (laughs) But it just shows like they're out there and they're doing a really great job and people are enjoying their product. So uh, definitely give them a shot. DeadboltMysterySociety.com. Zach, here today in our middle section, I'm going to throw you out a topic of conversation. You could probably guess what we're going to talk about today. Interesting. Okay. I mean, I think the biggest thing that I would take away from the Detective City of Angels series is probably the game modes. That's my guess. That's absolutely what we're talking about today. How awesome of the creators to not only give a competitive mode, but give a cooperative mode versus a chisel and then give us a purely cooperative mode. Like everybody fits into one of those three categories in my mind. Mm -hmm. So my question to you is, first of all, should more games adopt this model? I think it depends on the game. There are some games that I think there's really not a reason to add a competitive aspect to them, you know, or add a like purely cooperative if it's made to be purely competitive. I think I think if you are playing a competitive game, adding a cooperative version would be good. I think it's always valid, at least in that direction. But I don't think most cooperative games have to have a competitive aspect. So it really works in this game because I think and what I found really unique about it is that they made all three game modes work. Like Sleuth had the least amount of mechanics, 
but it felt full and it made sense that everything could be converted into that game mode. And then head to head and classic are basically the same, except for the competing aspect as well as the extra like currency and stuff like that. It was all really well done. I just, yeah, I I would say it depends on the game for sure, but most games I don't think need a competitive, but if it is competitive, it should have a cooperative. Okay. Well, if not competitive, what about just more game modes in general? Like, like and I, and add I'll, versions of the games? Yeah, like uh, I even think about like in video games that we cover or are going to cover a hard mode versus an easy mode. We talk a lot about this in the escape room space. Yeah. Like a track for one type of player and in the same game, you can offer a different level of difficulty. Mm. What do you think about that? Because most of the games that we cover are this is what it is and... You know, if if you wanted to say hard mode is not taking any hints and medium mode is taking some or whatever, but it doesn't feel like there's much intentional segregation into different game modes. I think it, it could be useful in certain games. I think definitely having like a easy and hard mode, I think is always like pretty useful if you can make that work where it doesn't feel like an insult in the easy mode, but not crazy difficult in the hard mode. Unless you are literally telling them, like, this is going to be the hardest challenge you've played. Right. I think it's worth doing it, but it's a lot of work for the creators because you have to create a game that fundamentally works for both. Right. And and I'm thinking purely, like, details and logistics of what we just played. Yep. Insane amount of detail to put all of that nine different cases in one experience and have it not only, like, be flawless, but, like, execute smoothly. Yep. Man, and, and they and another thing we should have mentioned in the first thing is like they have great voiceovers for the intros. Like the language that is used is very like I don't know that I'd call it meme 1940s, but like authentically 1940s. And yeah, uh, it, it was really unique in that space. But if you had to pick, let's say, one game mode that you would like to see more in the games that we play, what would that be? Okay, if I had to take a mode from like Detective City of Angels and put it in other games, I think having an element of cooperative, but with a competition aspect, like adding a chisel, almost a, some game modes would be really fun. So you're saying a game mode where there is more of a game master, master. that is actively involved in the game. Yeah, I think it would be fun, especially if that game master gets to have their own fun mechanics. It definitely was really fun getting to, and I think it depends on the group. Don't get me wrong. This is not a, this goes with every game because it clearly doesn't. And you can't say that it ever could. But like, as an example, I know there's a new, this is an escape room box game, but there's one that is coming out from, I think, Blizzard Entertainment. It's like kind of trademarking where it's a, it's a World of Warcraft game, but it, it is that. It is literally like an escape room game, but someone plays as a game master and they get to like kind of almost DM the game as like a dungeon master in D&D and get to tell them like about the space and move them around and kind of introduce the monsters. Like I just always have enjoyed that element. I'm not personally someone who does it all the time. Like I don't DM D&D, but it's, it's really fun getting to watch my friends trying to solve the mystery or complete puzzles. And I get to like help playing along with it or kind of throw them off. And it's hilarious when they find out like I'm not, I think it's just a fun like overview because you get to know the answer. And I think sometimes that could come off like, oh, well, you don't get to really experience the game then, you know, but I think like for me, at least for the people I usually play with, most of the people that if I don't play with just Jared, it's people who definitely play less than I do. And I think it's really fun that I get to like relax and try not to take over a game, but like lead the game, if that makes sense. I, I, I see that like it's playing the game, but with the answers. 
it's being a guide versus a solver. But I, I think there is more room for that. And I think we're seeing that. Like last episode, we talked crack the crate, right? Mm -hmm. Same thing. Yeah. Right. Like, even though you're talking like parents to their kids, you are in essence DMing a parent to operate the game and make sure that the boundaries are enforced and that everybody's having a good time. Yep. I think that's a really cool game mode. Again, I know that a lot of people want to just solve the puzzles and doing this, but what I liked is that we had options mm -hmm. because the truth of what we played today is it is impossible and would not be fun for you to play the same game on all three modes. You already know what happens. Yes. You, you had to pick what you want to play. So it's not that it's a one shot that's changing the, the dynamics or the range of it. It's like we had to pick. So I wonder if there's more room to explore that. Not that every game should. I just think it's a little bit of an unturned stone in, in the industry that we cover. I think it also brings replayability. If you are playing with people that you've never played with before. Like if you were playing the role Whoa. of a detective once and then the chisel for yeah. the same game later. Yeah, because I I mean, you would know what happens, but it doesn't matter. Uh, to be very clear, the chisel kind of has to know how the game's going to function. Like they, they can see the ending beforehand. They can see how it works. They can look at all the answers because they have to. So like, but what I enjoyed is like you and me could play a game, but then I could take this game and go play with a bunch of my friends from the climbing gym and go like, I want you guys to play this. I know the answers. I'm going to play as basically the, like the DM of this. Right. And I get to still play the game and have just as much fun, but now it's on them to figure it out. So it brings a little bit of replayability. You do still at the end of the day, pick like a version of the game. You have to play for each case in terms of, you know, if you kept playing the same role of it every time, but I think it's just very fun to add an element where you can be a part of the game, even if you've completed it before. That's almost how I'd put it. I think that's great. And and the game modes facilitate that. Yes. If it was just cooperative, just for that, I think that's a really wonderful point because this is a really nice game too. This box, yeah. I feel like weighs like 20 pounds. Like it's got a real nice, yeah. a, a lot of nice quality components to it as well. So I think that's really smart. Can you... Think of other, again, anything that we cover at home mystery space, like other unique game modes that maybe people could draw some inspiration from. I think one of the things I immediately think of in terms of like an adjacent space would be escape rooms. So with escape rooms, right, with like avatar based games is that you can usually play the room experience from online and you have someone avatar the space for you. And versus kind of like going and playing the actual escape room. So that kind of gives you like two uh, modes of the game where they're different in terms of you interact a little bit different. You can explore different, like the ex exploration's different, how you communicate's different, but you still get to see the game, the same game, but yes. it just functions differently. And I, I think that's a really cool thing that they've been able to do with like escape rooms as an example. I even think of like high noon at our location in Murfreesboro. Uh -huh. You can play that competitively against each other yeah or everybody can just join up on one team and play it cooperatively yes i think that's a good example the other one that i think of is i've been playing uh it takes two yes uh the ea game of the year game with my friend david and that is fun because they hide game modes in the game so mm. what you do is you get to different levels and fully immersively integrated are like these mini games that put you against each other and kind of give you a little bit of break from the main storyline. Mm -hmm. And it's just like this, it's different. It's a different game mode. You're not following the story. You're taking a break. But I even, I even wonder if that is something, maybe we talk about this more in a future episode is like hiding mini games within your games. Like that's a game mode. Like 
yeah. the kind of like mini missions apart from the main mission that we talk about in a lot of the other games that we play. I just think it's so intriguing because this game proved to me that given the same case, mm-hmm. this can be tackled three different ways. Yep. The narrative did not change. Nope. Based on what mode we played, the narrative did not change. But I could choose to play this one of different things. And what I'm getting at, and I say this, I feel like a broken revert, people like options. Yep. People love options. The more options that I feel like games in the at-home mystery and puzzle space can give them, people will do that, and then they'll find what's right for them. And that's why I feel like I advocate for a lot of different things. That's why I think you should have a tiered hint system, why... You should have solutions in addition to that because people want to play the game that they want to play. And when you spell out different ways for them to play it, they love that. To me, it's like this. I'm also involved in axe throwing ranges. If I just said, hey, we're going to just throw axes at the target and score points for an hour, it's probably still fun enough to where people would do that. It's like bowling. Bowling only really has, at bowling alleys, you can only really bowl one way but with axe throwing oh we could play this game we could play that game the axe doesn't change the target doesn't change but the way that we're working ourselves in there mm-hmm. does change and that means diversity and a lot of fun for a lot of more people that's how i think about that well that's really going to wrap us up for our middle section you are going to want to hang on we have a big exciting guest coming today because they're live in studio with us For the first time ever here on Puzzling Company, the creator of Detective City of Angels will be sitting down at our table, and we're super excited to get to do this for the first time in two years. So hang on. There are some awesome people who make the puzzles we love to solve. This is Questions for Creators. Hey, I just got back from the mail. Looks like we've got a new game to play. Oh, really? What is it? It's the new Escape the Crate game. Oh, I've been excited about this one. I'm personally a little confused. Okay. The title on the box just says Hood Unit. Okay, can you spell that? W-H-O-D-U-N-I-T. Oh, it's Who Done It, Jared. Yeah, in the new Escape the Crate game, it's the Escape Who Done It. It's like a classic murder mystery, but with a twist ending. I mean, agree to disagree on pronunciation, and by the way, it's twist, not twist. Okay. But what you can do is go over to escape dash the-crate.com and use code PUZZLINGCO, puzzling C-O, all one word, and you'll get 25% off your first subscription order or any single retired box that they have. Welcome back to Puzzling Company. Here in the third part of our show, we always have the awesome opportunity to get to talk with a creator. Mm -hmm. But as I mentioned, this is a very exciting episode for us because for the first time ever, After COVID, after all of the craziness that the world has thrown us since we've started this podcast, we get to have our very first creator in studio with us. Oh. And there he is, (laughs) sir, live human being sitting in front of us. No, I can reach out and touch you. We can all that. Things are getting real now in Puzzling (laughs) Company, but please introduce yourself. Tell us part of your story because that's kind of what I want to dig into a little bit. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. My name is Evan Derrick. And I am creative director and, oh, I guess I'm also a vice president, although I, that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't mean much. Uh, creative director at uh, Van Ryder Games. We publish tabletop board games, and we're known for our very thematic board games. We do board games with really rich themes. And since your audience is more used to, like, the puzzling side of things, the escape room side of things, 
when I say board games, I don't mean Monopoly or Risk or anything like that. (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) Or, you know, Sorry or Yahtzee. And and those aren't necessarily bad games, but they're just they're they're games that have been around for like 60 years. Yeah. Yeah. Very old. We actually thought you were the Candyland creator and I was bringing you here to really, really excited about (laughs) really throw my weight around at you. I know one of the guys who worked on. Candyland. (laughs) Oh, interesting. interesting. But um, yeah, we we create like there's just this very rich world of board games, like five, six thousand new board games are being published every year. There's amazing stuff coming out of Europe and has been for decades. There's Kickstarter, which the crowdfunding there's so many cool games coming out there. So there's like a really rich world of much more complex, but very different, interesting games. So mm-hmm. that that's the world I live in and work in. But you didn't you didn't start at Van Ryder. From my understanding, like you'd made a game before Van Ryder. You were deeply involved, like you said, with your graphic art. So yeah. like tell us about everything leading up to Van Ryder. I've always liked uh, board games, even when I was a kid, I could remember I think I got a copy of Axis and Allies and I would pull it out and set it all up, which was which Axis and Allies is like risk on steroids. It is like yeah. risk on steroids. Yeah. I would pull it out and like beg my brother or other family members to play with me and no one would. That's a hard sell, Evan. I'm not yeah. going to lie to you. It That's is. a hard sell of the game. It is a hard sell. And because I was the oldest and my my brother was younger than me, I, I didn't really learn the lesson that if I wanted him to play with me, I shouldn't like set out to like crush him every chance I got. So we'd play and I'd be mm-hmm. I'd like just dominate and destroy him. Who did you then, who did you like to play as the axis? <laughs> <laughs> I did. I would always play the axis and he would he would play the allies and he would play Russian. He would just turtle. All you would do is build tanks. That's yeah. Just build tanks. But I would still crush him. And that only worked once or twice. And then he wouldn't play with me. So I didn't learn that lesson. Anyway, so I loved board games growing up, but then kind of got it. Obviously, like many people in my generation got into video games and in college, you know, played Goldeneye and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Rainbow Six, the glory Quake. days, baby. Oh, yeah. I was mostly a mouse and keyboard guy. So I would play Quake and excellent um, and Unreal and all that kind of stuff. And I remember some of the guys on my hall in college had Goldeneye, and I was like a FPS mm. god there, which isn't saying much, but I, I was really, really good, and had been playing it for years, and mm-hmm. we, we'd had like little uh, networks set up, and I would just annihilate everybody to the point where they would, some of them wouldn't play with me because they thought I was cheating. Again, this is all relative. It's not like I'm like some kind of. But anyway, you're gonna tell us about your stint on the pro circuit, right? After this. Yeah. <laughs> but they had Goldeneye, and I remember getting that controller and just getting obliterated yeah. because it was so different, and I was so angry because like my, my ego was so bruised. Anyway, so I took a break, uh, played video games for a while, and then probably around 25, 26, uh, stumbled onto a website called Board Game Geek, which, mm. and at that juncture, it, it looks a little better now, but at that juncture, it looked like some, uh, something yeah. circa 1990. It was super chaotic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It was, it, was, it was much, much older look. It, they've, they've done some really nice updates to it recently. But, and I've clicked over and found like the list of the top 100 games mm-hmm. the number one game was a game called puerto rico um uh-huh. which if you look at the cover it's like this super dull colonial trader guy like looking at some goods that he's putting on a ship or something <laughs> it lo- and it's like in beige tones it's like the um 
It's the board game equivalent of beige walls in an office. So I remember looking, and I was like, this is the number one game. It's not anymore, but back then it was, and it had like tens, like over 10,000 like ratings. Wow. I was like, I've never wow. even, I was like, I've never even heard of this game and it looks terrible, but I'm going to buy it. <laughs> so I bought it and then that like opened. It, it was, was game on. It was game. It was game over. Game. Really. Oh, yeah. And I just started buying more and more and more and going deeper and deeper and deeper. And eventually I decided, I was like, I could make one of these things. And um, just like in video games, most popular IPs that are translated over to board games kind of are typically cash grabs and yeah. Yeah. aren't very good. Now, that's improved a lot in recent years. There's a lot of really good IP work being done recently, but back then, not so much. You'd have like Lord of the Rings Risk and mm -hmm. stuff and whatever. But there was a game based on the Battlestar Galactica TV show. Ooh, okay. And I remember reading about it, and it's like a hidden trader game. And But you might start out as a human, and halfway through the game, you might get another card that says, no, 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 you're not really a human. You're a Cylon. Oh, so all of a sudden, okay. you you your job is to destroy the humans. And so, but it took like, it was it's an awesome game. It's an amazing game, but it took like four out three to four hours yeah. to play. It was like super mm -hmm. long. So I decided I would try to make like a sixty minute version of that game. Hmm. Uh, okay. And I did a little print and play because I'm a graphic designer. I kind of made it look nice and put the files up on Board Game Geek, the website, just for free. And I designed the game and made the files and said, "Hey, if you want it, just download these files, print it out yourself. Here are the rules. You can play it." And it was like really well received, really popular, downloaded thousands and thousands wow, of times. That's dope. A publisher saw it and and picked it up, and obviously we rethemed it. It wasn't Battlestar Galactica anymore. It became a game called Dark Moon. Yeah. But that was my first design, and that kind of opened a lot of doors for me in the industry, and I started meeting people and going to cons and, and stuff like that. And eventually I moved here to Tennessee from my job job and met up with uh, AJ Porfirio, who I knew. I'd done my research. He was in my area and was a publisher and so I even backed his game on Kickstarter. He had a he had a solo nice. game called uh, Hostage Negotiator on Kickstarter, one player game. And I wasn't really interested in one player games, which is funny. Yeah, given given <laughs> yeah, given your said, most recent Kickstarter, given, given the <laughs> which is very ironic given recent developments. <laughs> but I backed it anyway, just so I could say when I ran into him, oh, I backed your Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, and I did. I ran into him. We played a game, and you know, I tried to like strategically name drop like you know like, oh yeah i designed dark moon and i go oh, yeah i know i know people in the industry and i go and he uh invited me to his house to his game group and i started playing with them and then eventually i really wasn't very happy in my job i did marketing for film and television hmm. um digital marketing that's tough that's a tough gig yeah i ran like million dollar campaigns it was just crazy spending set up ad campaigns where I'd spend 50 grand in like a few hours. It's like, wow. it like playing with funny money, but it wasn't, it was so ephemeral. I'm a creator and I like creating, I wanted to be the guy who is making the movie or yeah. writing the movie or, or creating something and not the guy making the advertising, which there's still a lot of creativity that goes involved with marketing and advertising. And there's ad campaigns that get awards and all that kind of stuff and stuff that are people really proud of. But generally speaking, after like the movie or the book or the thing or whatever your marketing comes out, all the marketing just 
disappears. Like no one cares right. anymore. So what mm-hmm. you made doesn't matter. Yeah. And especially want, now in the digital age, right? Like yeah, it's hundred percent. It's just gone. Like I created thousands of memes for like different movies and stuff. That <laughs> it's just like spent so much of my life making crap that no one cares about anymore Listen, they didn't even really care that much at the time they're in some deep dark aws server right <laughs> yeah, now. Like, they, really they are they are still out there evan don't beat yeah. yourself up the internet wayback machine remembers it, it remembers you evan you matter you matter to that um so i talked to aj and was like hey i know you're a publisher and you're doing some stuff and i was like i'd like to maybe start my own publishing company and pick your brain and at that juncture, he was getting a little worn out because he also had a day job. Mm-hmm. Um, and But this was consuming a lot of his time. And so he said, well, hey, instead of that, why don't we work together? So we, we tried it out for six months and discovered that we had very similar interests in taste and games. But we have vastly different personalities and skill sets. So while he is like, he does handles a lot of the business and the logistics side of things and, and a lot of the financial planning and, and that kind of stuff. I handle all the creative, the art direction, the creative stuff. So it was just a really perfect work marriage. Yeah. Like I call it, he's my like work wife. Your work wife. <laughs> and, vice, and vice versa. That's, that's hilarious. That's really cool though, to find someone so complimentary mm-hmm. and be oh, able yeah. and be able to sync up with them because like looking at what you guys have done together, you've pumped out a lot of really, really cool content, like leading up, especially to what we played with Detective City of Angels. Tell us a little bit about that. And then I want to I also want to jump into your most recent Kickstarter, yeah. even though it's not something that we would traditionally sure, play, but sure, I still sure, think sure. it's worth. But yeah, like how did how did that all come together? Detective City of Angels, I've worked on it. I worked on it up until the point where it got published. It's been like about nine years now, but I worked on it for six years. And I knew when I initially designed it, it felt like something special to me. And my work on Dark Moon was, which was with a different publishing company, but I handled all of the development for it. I handled all of the graphic design for it. Wow. I I got Mm -hmm. paid a little bit for that. And it was a great opportunity to learn, Mm -hmm. but I like did everything. Yeah. And then it wasn't mine anymore. It's still technically mine, but it's, it's licensed to. Sure. He takes all the risks, the publisher takes all the risks, they put all the money in, and then they reap the rewards is how it should be. But I was like, man, I should, I don't want to work this hard on something like this again and then not own it. Yeah. Yeah. And Detective felt really special to me when I when I when I initially made it. I I came up with it as I played the video game LA Noir. Yeah. Yeah. Rockstar. And I wanted, I loved that game. I loved the interrogation system where you kind of have to figure out if the guy's lying to you just based on their facial expressions and stuff and loved the setting. And then I'd read a bunch of James Elroy who wrote the LA Quintet, which is LA Confidential, yes. Black Dahlia, all that kind of stuff. And his writing style is, is, is amazing. It's very hard. It's modern, but it's like very hard boiled. Yes. Um, and then... At one point, um, my wife's purse was stolen out of her car. Some thief had busted the window and like taken her per- or her bag. Wow! And here in Nashville? No, no, no. This was in Norfolk, in okay. Virginia, okay. where I was living at the okay. time. And she didn't really have anything valuable in it, but her sketchbook was in it. So, and mm. the, her sketchbook meant a lot to her, but clearly it wouldn't mean jack squat to whichever thief had taken it so i remember walking down and like finding where the glass had been broken and like 
putting on like my little detective hat and like being like, now where would, what would I do? And it's like, okay, it's real dark. There's lights over there. Well, I would go away from the lights and I would try to get away as fast as possible so I could look through the bag, throw it away and keep whatever is valuable and move on. So he's going to throw the bag away. He's going to get somewhere dark as fast as possible away from the crime scenes. And so I like started following like and checking dumpsters as I went. And there's like some train tracks nearby. And I was like, well, that's really dark. No one would be over there. And so I walked over there and sure enough, down an alley, I saw her bag. Get out of here. Wow. Yeah. And I felt so it's, it sounds kind of silly. No, that's I, I was like a conquering hero returning with her bag and her sketchbook. Heck yeah, yeah. man. Um, and I felt like so awesome. I was like, ah, I was a real detective. I like solved a real mystery. Cause yeah. you know, like if we had gone to talk to the cops, like, it, Oh yeah. They, yeah. Not, they don't have time for that. Your what's missing. Exactly. Yeah, your like, sketchbook. Yeah. Oh, anyway. So that combined with my love of LA noir and having read James Elroy, I was just like, I want to combine all these things and make a board game. Did you find like your detective voice that night? Like where you <laughs> like, cause, cause it's very clear. Like, and what we really enjoyed is like, and, and what we enjoy in a lot of our games is like people who sell out to details for the sake of immersion. Yeah. And every line of every single thing that you wrote in this game is like dedicated to selling it. So I'm like wondering like, like that night where did you have like, cause Zach's always doing like his, uh, his 1940s gangster voice when we play games. You want to, you want to give us a little, absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) I want to hear it. I'm just imagining you like finding the, the, the bag by the railroad tracks and like finding your detective voice and you're another case closed. Like just pulling up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I, I love the feeling of solving like the feeling of solving that one real, like very tiny real life mystery was so satisfying. I wanted to recreate that in a board game yeah. format. So I like what you said about like, what would you say? Detail? Yeah. Like selling out to the details yeah. of something just for makes the sake of immersion for the sake of immersion. Like that's, that's where the rubber hits the road. Anybody could make a detective game and put on a, you know, a 1940s hat. But this, the one thing that we, one of the things we realized so much in playing this game, Zach, maybe you want to talk about this a little, is just like the amount of detailed work. Like you said, you put six years into this thing. That doesn't surprise me. That game in its mechanics is meticulous. Oh yeah. I, one of the things I enjoyed the most about Detective City of Angels was the chisel mechanic. Yeah. I I thought it was so fun to be able to play almost like a dungeon master in D and D with like the game mastering aspect of you want your group to have fun, add in these elements that you can make them believe that you're telling the truth. Maybe not. But then the other parts I really liked about the detail oriented stuff was one of the cases that I think is my favorite out of all of them was Bloody Christmas that we played. Uh I really enjoyed the details of how you introduce these characters and specifically, I don't want to spoil too much of Bloody Christmas. There's a character gets introduced who clearly looks like they're involved. And then, you know, you introduce these other people throughout the experience that you may or might not know about or what they're in, you know, how involved they are. But then one of my favorite ideas that Jared might, you know, be able to agree with me on was I would say about halfway through the game, there is an element where we found something earlier on in a different location. And I was like, 
this is just odd. This is like there. Why would that like, why would I really think that? And I was like, you know what, whatever. It might just fell or been placed there. And then we got a detail about someone that just goes, oh, they did this or they gave it to this person. I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And then it just, every little thing clicked where I was like, okay, this makes complete sense because this character had said something about this person. And, you know, it'd be really weird that randomly that item's placed there. It was just it felt like once we got to the end and we heard the clear epilogue for Bloody Christmas that I just knew you took so much time to make sure that it made 100% sense. Yeah. And I and it really paid off because it felt so rewarding at that point when I made that connection that when we got there, I was like, there was no confusion. There was yeah. nothing that made me feel like you know, sometimes well, you'll play. The da, 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 well, there's also yeah. like murder mysteries that you play, and sometimes it's like, okay, well, they kind of leave out this element the entire game, and then at the last second they go, by the way, here's a really important right. detail. From almost the get-go, you could get that, and it was well done that it didn't feel like this is it. This is totally the answer. You need to know this now. You don't need to know this now, but uh, please remember it. Because yeah. the moment you make that connection, it felt great. And then the voice acting, you know. Yeah, we enjoyed that too. I thought the detail work on that and how the inflections, I, you know, for something that we've seen many different types of work on voice acting in terms of people, what they make for games. And some people, you know, it's the basic, and I'm not saying that's horrible. I, I appreciate when you even add that element because it does add another level of immersion. But in this game, it just felt like you took the time and it really paid off and we appreciated it. Are you talking about the briefings that we recorded? Yeah. Yes. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Those were cool. Yeah. Like that a lot. Yeah, I sat with uh, the guy who did that. His name's Cam Cornelius, and he's, I think he's out in Nashville. Yeah. And so I went up and sat with him. And one one of the things that was interesting is that I wrote all of that, not ha intending it to be recorded. That becomes, it wasn't written for someone to say it out loud like that. And so, but then I couldn't change it because we had already printed it. So it was oh, like, really? oh, well, so we had to kind of work with that a little bit, but I'm, I'm glad you guys appreciated that. Let me, let me ask you this. Cause we spent the whole middle portion of our show talking about the concept of game modes mm -hmm. and you give us three different options on how you can play each case in detective city of angels. I think one of the things I was wondering was, in what order did you come up with those? Like, were, did you make classic and you were like, oh, well, you know, maybe people would want to yeah. play cooperatively, <laughs> yeah. like, uh, or, or maybe they don't even want the chisel because we played all of them. We tried it on classic. We played head to head. Like, uh -huh. how did that come about? Like, why did you decide to give so many options to players? I will say that I come from the school of game design that would generally say game modes like that are poor design. Hmm. Um, because you should present to your players the best possible thing for them to play. Mm -hmm. Like and, singular. Yes. But how we, how I mitigate, I'll tell you why I added the extra game modes, but how we mitigate that is we present it as if here is what we call classic mode. Mm -hmm. This is the way the game is intended to be played. And so we're going to explain all the rules with this in mind. However, at the very end, we'll explain how you can play these other ways if that's something you really want to do. Mm -hmm. This is the way to do it. There are some games that will force you to make a decision about which mode you're going to play at the very beginning and like give you all these options before you even understand what the game is. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's, it's, a very, it's generally a very disconcerting experience for gamers because they don't, they don't, they're like, why are you giving me these choices already? I don't, right. I just yeah. let, I want to play the game 
that is what you think the best version. But the problem with this is it's such a one. We knew we wanted a solo mode because our company is known for our solo games. Yeah. So we have a huge portion of our customer base that's interested in playing one player games. Yes. So the solo mode came out of that. The cooperative mode was more like it's honestly not that hard to tweak it to play it. So we might as well provide it as an option. And so it's provided as a variant in the back. But the game is intended to be played in classic mode. That's how it was designed from the ground up. Mm -hmm. That's what it was initially balanced for. And then the other modes were, it was kind of like, you know what? This works. And we really need to find a one-player version. And then the co-op works. And so we'll we'll give those. But it was, it was very intentional for me to include them in the back of the rule book. So for people who are just coming to the game, they're like, well, how should I play it? And it's like, well, this is, you should play it classic. This right. is the way we intend yeah. for you to play it. It's funny though, because we played it reverse. Oh yeah? Because yes. because because <laughs> our entire world and most of the games that we cover are hundred percent cooperative. Right. Yeah. And it was really interesting to then work towards more competitive styles of the game. That's interesting. And because I think for a lot of our listeners, they play the games that they want to play because like for exactly what you said, they want to play by themselves mm, or they right. want to play with their friends in competitive style of game modes is just not their thing. Like we were talking about before we started recording, but the light bulb came on to me and I liked playing it that way because we were able to slowly kind of like ease in to the intricacies mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. the game through that mode. And that was I think that's why a lot of our listeners will hopefully pick this game up because play it the way that you will play a lot of the other games that we play. And then once you're ready to, you know, we call, we called it clue on crack yeah, is, yes. is, is what we call <laughs> is what we call classic mode. It was awesome. I think it worked well for us because first game, like we said, traditional, everybody worked together. There's the booklet that you're against. Great. Add the chisel. Okay. Now we've got kind of an yeah. antagonist and then, Oh, like you're going to crowd my territory, Mr. Red player over there. Like, nah, you ain't getting any information yeah. from it. Just, it, it flowed really well for us. And I was super excited to see that because I, that's funny. I would just, I would love to hear more about why people think that's bad to give people options. People can get decision fatigue and mm. it, oftentimes when they buy something. So part of it is very specific to tabletop gamers. Okay. People who like RPGs, role-playing games they are super fine with like loosey goosey rule sets. And because the, the whole nature of it is you're telling stories and you're just like changing things on the fly. Right, and yeah, sure. Yeah, right. Fun. Board gamers are not like that at all. They're black and white. They hate ambiguity because they want a very specific set of rules and, and, and they, they want to explore the possibilities within that rule set, mm -hmm. but they do not want to have to make decisions about which rules they should be following. And so in that sense, from at least from tabletop game design, providing like, it's almost kind of like, well, if you want to play it this way, you can play it this way. You know, I don't know. And <laughs> They're so, like, pick a lane, pick yeah. a lane. Exactly. Like I literally saw comments today about another board game where the designer is on the forums on board game geek, where people ask questions and every time they have a, like the game has a ton of rules, ambiguity, ambiguities, but every time they're asking him a question, he's like, well, I don't know, just play it how you like. And it just like, isn't they're so in, they're so angry. Like there were multiple comments in the reviews, just like angry at the designer for not making a decision. Hmm. So 
I would say you two and probably the people who listen to this who might be interested in trying the game out are more unique in that you're coming from probably a lot of experience playing your kinds of games. So for you, it's perfectly fine to read through the rule book and see this option in the back and like make a command decision like, okay, we're going to play it this way. And that is why it's included there for you. But for the general gamut of board gamers, which are our, which is our primary customer base. It's very important for me to present. If you're only ever going to play this game once, this is the way I want you to play it. Now, if you're experienced and you know, you want to try something different, you are more than welcome to, because the game, I wouldn't have included that stuff in there if it didn't work. Right. It it works. Um, especially the solo mode. And I guess if you, did you guys play pure co-op at first? So you played with the solo, the sleuth book. Yeah, we played with the sleuth book and that was the only hard part about that is one of the funnest parts that we enjoyed about the chisel is, you know, you have a personal relationship with the chisel Mm -hmm. outside of the game. You can't read, right? You can't read the book. So when we played our first one, we got to the end of it and we, we just couldn't figure out what we missed. So we, Zach poured back through it and he was like, the two things that we took is the truth. That whole game <laughs> yeah. we're, we're not, but, but then, you know, it, it's like you said, once you put people in the place where commands are just like binary yeah. commands, you know, then it was hilarious for Zach to play as the chisel while I'm sitting here, like trying to play him yeah. as well as I'm playing oh, the yeah. game. And we don't, we don't get a lot of that in our world because the game exists and it just goes, the story right. is written in yeah. your slowly unfurling that by solving puzzles but a human being as a puzzle along the way is wildly fun it adds a psychological element absolutely which is what i wanted and i'm mostly i'm a novice puzzle designer the puzzles i designed for this game which all the cases function like little tiny like little contained puzzles they're all in service of telling a story yes so it's a little different it's not they're not puzzles for the sake of like oh that was a really satisfying puzzle to just to solve it's in service of a story like you said what makes it really the chisel really interesting is it introduces this human psychological element i had a lot of people um asking me to turn the chisel into an app while we were playtesting this oh okay and i actually tested it like an app kind of i I did a so you know how the chisel passes you the little yes yes little card little card and you read it i actually had like a little flap on the card so that if you wanted to challenge right then and there you just lift the flap and it would tell you if you were if your challenge was correct Mm. right underneath on the same card and give it to you basically to simulate having like an app like you see the response and all you have to do is hit a button. I challenged to see what it was. And what I found was that players would challenge every time. Wow. Because they had it right there in front of them. Yeah. And they just couldn't resist. They're like, I got to know. I got to. And they'd hit it and they challenged over and over and over. Yeah. But when you have a human being who is handing you the thing and then you have to like hand, you have to tell them like, no, I challenge. And you have to hand it back to them. There's like this physical process and relationship involved in there that forces you to really consider whether you want to challenge or not because if you're wrong then zach 
is like gonna like laugh at you or so oh, or, yeah. that, or that, have one up on you. That didn't seem to stop me from, cha- from challenging <laughs> saying, all the time. <laughs> that didn't seem to stop me because uh, I just thought Zach was a big liar. Uh, I mean, yeah. Well, the thing I really <laughs> liked about this game, though, specifically about that part with the chisel and the psychological element, was Jared will tell you when we play games like One Night Werewolf and many other types, mm-hmm. I am very bad at lying. It's just, it's very hard for me to do it with a straight face because Jared will, we'll play one night werewolf and Jared will go, are you the werewolf? And I instantly go, no. And he's like, you're the werewolf. And I'm like, okay. It's pretty bad. It's, it's, it's pretty, pretty easy bad to figure out. But what this game does is let you have that element. But then because of the card and the, the cover mechanic with it, it let me take my time, read through the responses and go like, okay, is this realistic enough that Jared won't question me on it? And right. I have time to really think about it. And Jared really can't analyze it. And then I just give him a card. And then I'm, I just sit back fake smoking a cigar. And I'm just like, you're moved detective. And it was hard to read. <laughs> yes. And it was hard That's to awesome. read. One thing I want to kind of dive into for all of us is games that excite me are games like this that are, uh, I call them kind of bridges to adjacent spaces for us. Uh We play a lot of games. You can look on the wall behind you that use deductive reasoning as the primary element for solving the game. Uh And that's fun. And that's solo mode, right? If you purely just want to play a deductive non-social game, play solo mode. But I I think it's really interesting for our listeners because we talk about all of these different places. This seems like the perfect bridge both ways to say, hey, people that are in the board game world, if you're interested for something that's a little more of a one-shot detective with some mechanics, like come a little closer to the puzzling company world. But for our listeners, this is for those that don't play a lot of traditional board games, yeah. this is kind of like the perfect merger of, well, why don't you give some mechanics in addition to your mystery a little yeah. try? Mm-hmm. Do you, do, were you thinking about that at all when you made the game or because it, it doesn't feel overwhelming to add the mechanics to the game. And I feel like that's where a lot of people get scared. I mean, the game was created cause I wanted people, I wanted to create a game that, gave people the best possible experience of what mm. it was like to be a detective. Yes. With with like a box of cardboard in front of you without actually doing it. You know, mm. that that that's that's really what I my I intended to do. Although as I started working on it and and I realized that the cases in and of themselves functioned like little puzzles. And so from creating the game and starting to write stuff and the in the some of the, my favorite scenarios are in the base box but I got a lot better at writing them later mm-hmm. on. And so the expansion stuff is much, much tighter Interesting. in certain ways. Okay. And there's um, how many expansions to there it? There are two four-case expansions each. Okay. So oh, okay. eight cases. And then we have one standalone case, which you can get, and then uh, two others coming. Very cool. Oh, okay. I've started like studying and thinking much more proactively about puzzle design and what makes a good puzzle because so many of these cases work that way. They're just, they're just very specific. kind. Like I basically built my own like system, uh, own like pro- a little matrix of like what each case needs. Well, and, but I built my own proprietary puzzle system oh, essentially. Ooh, okay. I mean, I think that that's the way you can look at it. Like mm. it's you, you can create very specific kinds of puzzles for the system I designed, but they have to be written in like a specific 
like a specific way. They're yeah. almost like the cases are almost like cartridges that like plug into the to the system yeah. itself. You've got an N64 sitting over there, and if you yeah. want to run it, it's got to be you got to have a cartridge you can blow into and joystick up. But yeah, I like that. I think that's a great analogy. But it, it creates the system that was developed for it creates vi- a very specific kind of puzzle, which mm. is if you play the sleuth or the solo or the fully co-op mode, you you don't experience this quite as much. But if you play it in classic mode with with multiple detectives, what you discover is that you will only get a small portion of what the story is. Yes. You won't you won't yeah. see everything. You know, whereas you, Zach, said like you found that one piece of evidence that like clicked and you were like, yes, 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 yes. Yep. Um, but you might not have found that and you might have found a whole and like another detective playing might have found like a whole different swath of evidence. Yeah. And they're operating on some a whole bunch of other information. But you have to the game doesn't work. It's you're not going to read everything. You're not going to see everything. You're not going to yeah. know what every suspect's doing. You're not going to be, there's not enough time to ask. So you have to, you have to prioritize which questions you want to ask, which areas you want to investigate. And then you have to, it's actually not a deductive game. You have to intuit what, mm, that's yeah. good point. what really happened and who the criminal is. And sometimes they're there. You have to like, just make a leap and like make a guess. And so some people don't like that because they want a more deductive experience where they can like, you know, eliminate everything sure. else. But my game never spells it out for you. It never, there's no information you can all click together where you go, and this is the killer. I think that's a good point because the game does run, and we didn't talk about this a whole lot early in the episode, but it does run on like a traditional logic rubric, right? You got your suspects running down kind of Uh like a Y axis, and then you have all of your intelligence and your things running. So it does feel a little deductive in its nature, but you're right. At the end of every game, we had to shoot our shot, not fully a hundred percent knowing. Yeah. I, I think on only one of the cases we had like a pretty solid guess, but I remember the first few cases we played, we were basically like, I think we're on some of a right track. Let's just hope. And we got in. We're like, oh, thank Lord. Yeah. You brought it up, but I really like that you did do that because it did feel really interesting in certain cases being like you felt like you had it. And then uh, like you still gathered other information about other suspects and you're like, oh, my gosh, they could be just as much involved. But, you know, there's like that one thing missing or, you know, you kind of do have to take the leap of like, I just have to hope that they did do it. And that person didn't do it in time or whatever it ended up being. I think the other thing I really enjoyed about them too, when you brought them up as being like their own separate puzzles and games is that they are in terms that a lot of the stories are a bit different. It's not the same, like, okay, this is a a murder. The murder happens. It's the same kind of idea, the same philosophy, you know, in one of them we played, it's a bank heist and it's like, where'd the money go? And it's like, that was dope. And it was a change of format. (laughs) We're like, what the heck happened? Like, okay, now we're trying to find out a location And what you brought up about the evidence and having, you know, the full thing when you play like cooperative, you kind of see it all. It's all presented to you with the evidence and in in competitive mode or the classic, you know, certain evidence gets taken away so you can only see part of it and other people's couldn't. It was hilarious. Jared at one point was playing Heist of Nowhere and was like, Zach, I know where the treasure is or the the money, the money bag is like, I know where it is. And I was like, someone else had been given mystery card one. And I was like, there's no shot. You know what it is. I was like, you know what? I want to know. And he wrote it down. He's like, I'm going to give you my guess. And I was like, okay. And then we finally revealed mystery card one. And then I looked at Jared and I was like, 
Yeah, it's totally not what you're going to guess, is it? <laughs> Jared had a, a decent idea of it, but it was yeah, not anywhere close to the right. thing. It's it's just great because, yeah, like Zach said, you're playing with... It's not murder City of Angels. Right. It's detective, and I was super happy to see different variants. Like, it, it just felt like a really fun, multifaceted way to attack the, yeah. the game. Although, to be fair... Most of the time, Most someone's getting murdered. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's fair. For sure. Somebody got to die in 1940s <laughs> L.A. Like, I get it. In fact, I think there's even in the cases where it's not you're necessarily solving a murder. There's still murders going on adjacent sure. to it. But that didn't always. It, that, that was what was fun. It was like a lot of the time it was the objective, but not always. Right. Like, right. And then you continue to make the things more abstract as the difficulty grows like. It just it just flowed really well together. Yeah, I mean, it was fresh, too. Like, it was just a nice change of pace occasionally being like, okay, we did a murder, we did a murder, we did a murder. What the heck is this? And then you do another murder, and then a new format change. It, it was yeah. just a nice, fresh new mechanic. What in that six years of building this game do you feel like you spent the most time on? Probably, I mean, other than, <laughs> other than the writing, which happened, you know, near the end mm -hmm. once I was putting all of the final cases together, because I wrote... This and the two expansions and the other stuff I've written, probably 160, 170,000 words. Wow. There. So other than just the writing, the sheer amount of writing, probably what took the longest time was just developing that court, like that base system. Mm. So the game started out, it was much more of like a role playing game. No. Where it didn't have, there weren't responses on cards. The chisel, the chisel literally played it. It was called like the antagonist. I don't know. It, it took <laughs> us a while to come up with the name of the chisel, but the chisel at that point would just like say out loud. Yep. But it kind of was more of a role playing thing, and they had to be. And I decided I didn't want. I want. I didn't want that. I wanted. I wanted a set of rules. I wanted sure. more structure for it. I didn't want to turn into like a. And people can role play. You can get into the voices and stuff, but that's your that's your decision. The game itself doesn't require that. Yeah. Although it's fun. So probably building because some of those cases like the heist one, they went through like eight, nine different iterations. Wow. Because oh. the system would keep changing like the yeah. cards that you hand the responses. Those didn't exist for like the first two or three versions of the game. And like the little search cards, yeah. those, those didn't exist until like the sixth or seventh version of the game. Like, and so once I introduced search cards, I was like, well, crap, now I have to go, but I have to like, <laughs> to go, I have to go back and redo this. everything. Yeah. And then I realized, I was like, I have to come up with a search card for every logical place people would search. Yep. Um, and so, because I'd notice players when they think like, oh, I think I should go there. And it was, it was a reasonable assumption, Yes. but there wasn't anything there. They'd go there and not find anything. It was just very unsatisfying. Yeah. It was it. like, sure. cool. I so mean, I had to go back and like write I was just like, what is every possible logical place that someone might want to go? And I'd write a little card for it. So even if you go and oftentimes those cards would have like little hints like, hey, you didn't find the right thing. You like made a leap of logic. This was not correct. But here on the, I know what you're trying to do. And here on this card is a little hint about where you should go. So you, you've wasted a little bit of time, but I like appreciate your effort. And, and I want you to be able to find I like I don't want anybody to be frustrated, yeah, which I yeah. assume is something that's very core to what you guys do. You don't want anybody to be like, you can make puzzles that are hard and difficult, but you mm -hmm. never want someone to feel frustrated or you don't want to yeah. introduce, you don't want to introduce information or stuff in your, your escape rooms. That's like totally worthless. Like, yes. Hey, yeah. here's a little go. You're like, Oh, maybe I need to go, you know, investigate that. And 
you'll go and do it and it's like haha dead end yeah <laughs> you gotcha. wasted a bunch of time yeah, that's, that yeah. is like the, big no no that's a, the most unfun thing possible so i tried very hard in this to to not do that or to only have the like dead ends happen when you chose to not challenge the chisel and mm, you, and you fed yeah. you alive because at that point it's like Oh, I went to this place and there's nothing there, but it's because the chisel got you. And I feel like, and that's, that's satisfying. That is satisfying. Yeah. Yeah, Cause the only things I remember is like when I would learn information that I already learned, but then I had to come back and rationalize and say like, duh, like, why would I ask so-and-so this? Like, of course they're going to tell me the, the same thing. Like, but it was cool how multiple paths were all happening at the same time that were all kind of funneling you to this final mm-hmm. location. I thought that was pretty fun, especially when we played in classic mode. Yeah. When you played the chisel, Zach, how many detectives did you have? So when we played the classic mode version, it was four. There's four detectives. detectives. Okay. And then right. when we played, when we did head to head, it was just me and yeah, uh, yeah. Jared. So some of the cases, and I'm not sure, which case did you play? We played the first three, and then we played Bloody Christmas. Okay. I feel like of those, the one that's the most fun to play is the chisel is Murder at, Sun- Murder at Sunset. Yes. Um, that's the one I did play as the um, detective. Oh, or sorry, you, as the chisel. You played that one as the chisel? And I chiseled for... You did for Bloody, Bloody Christmas. Bloody Christmas. Yeah. And then I did Heist of Nowhere. Yeah, you did Heist of Nowhere. Yeah. Yep. So one of the things that's was challenging creating the chisel is making the game fun for the chisel. And some of the cases work better and some of the cases don't work as well. Some of the mm-hmm. cases kind of function a little bit on rails almost for the chisel and they don't have as much interesting stuff to do, which I learned as I began to write the cases, especially for the expansions. I got much better at understanding my own system that I'd made, mm-hmm. but like murder at sunset is great because some of the suspects in there have such good lies. We were laughing so hard at some of the lines. Cause I would tell I, I would laugh after I'd give him the response and I was like, Jared, I can't tell you right now, but I need you to see these <laughs> when we're done. Like there was a comment D makes about uh, two of the other characters that I was just like, that was so funny to think about that. Like, you know, you have like a normal response like D's like, Oh, I'm not going to tell you anything. And then it goes this. And then the last one goes, you know, those two girls, you know, let's yeah. talk about them and what you, what do you think about it? Detective? It, it was just so good. And so for, the chisel on some of the more advanced cases, especially once the detectives grow, mm. you have to, as a chisel, you actually have to be very on top of what everyone knows. Mm-hmm. Because if I've written the cases right, I've given you enough different lies to work with in different contexts mm-hmm. that one lie for one detective, because of things that they've learned, yes. is going to be, there's going to be more likely that they'll believe that then a different detective who's off in another corner of the city doing something else, it might be a different lie, but you as the chisel have to maintain what information each of them has gathered Yeah, because some of the lies, like if they figured out that so-and-so wasn't at the crime scene and there's another lie where you're, you're like, well, that person was at the crime scene. They're not going to fall for it. Right. They've already, they've already verified, but as the chisel, you have to, you have to track that and know that. 
Yeah. And in some of the expansion cases, I ratcheted the challenge up for the chisel like exponentially, where the chisel actually now has to take notes if they want to like. <laughs> if they want to win. I was gonna say, even in Heist to Nowhere with four detectives, I felt like I did have to take notes, even though it wasn't insane. It was a thing of like, okay, well, this person's had bre- this ev- person have evidence. They've done bribing with this. They know this. This person still doesn't know this, and they're at the bottom right. And I've lied to this person about where the money is, and it. It did feel really cool because in some of the other ones when it was like head to head, I did have to know a little bit, but I basically just got to sit and wait until I knew what they're going to ask, you know, and just be like, haha, I know the end. You don't. But it it did feel really cool and heist to be like, okay, well, I'm I'm like, I like was mini making notes being like, okay, well, Jared and Jared's wife has seen this, but Jared's brother hasn't seen this yet. So I have to make sure like I have to keep him out of the loop as much (laughs) as I want to. But then also this character still is nowhere close until, you know, like. I, I know in heist, there was like one mystery card that you get as an element. Yeah. And once that happened, it was fun because I was like, okay, this is the first piece of information that I'm going to track, but then everyone knows it's public, but they just don't know what's on it yet until they either, you know, cause in that card, I think it was, they had to turn it over immediately or they wait until their next turn to they show it at the beginning. They can turn it over. The detective yes. who finds it can turn it over immediately or... or they can't hold on to it indefinitely. Yeah, we Jared's brother had it, and they waited till the next turn to yeah. start it. And it was just so hilarious because they would all start going towards the location that they had found the card and was just like, do I really need to go there? There's probably no... And I'm like, <laughs> time for you to figure that out. We'll see if you find anything right. else. The best was just the conga line of people. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> going yes. Going from like... like are you at 36? Like, <laughs> I'm going to, th- I'm going to 36. Like, yes. it's just like, Oh my goodness. I've, I've, I've play tested with people who decided that they did, they could just follow and like <laughs> oh, draft yeah. off of the other detectives work. And so they would just like get scratched and like have lots of money. And then they would just like, Oh, they found something. And then they go bribe a bunch of stuff. bribe, 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 and they get all yep. the stuff. And so, and that's, it's really interesting to watch people. I'm like, that's not how you, you know what? That's totally works. You, you're the yeah. like deadbeat detective. That's just trying to like swoop in at the right moment and steal glory while the other detectives do all the work. It's, it's definitely a strat. I want to talk more about your graphic art uh-huh. because very rarely I'm looking at our, our wall right now. I can think of like two, maybe three other creators who were the primary graphic designers for their game, as well as the primary game makers for their uh-huh. game. Tell us how that influences each other when you have that much creative control, not only for how it plays, but what it's going to look like. Well, when you have that much creative control, if it's not any good, you're the only one to blame <laughs> <Yeah>. for it. <laughs> high risk, high reward. <laughs> high risk, high reward. I, you know, talking about earlier getting into games and why I, uh, and getting into publishing, I knew Detective was something special and I did not want to give it over to another publisher to control a lot of the mm. art and the design decisions and all that kind of stuff. I wanted it to be what it was. So I showed it to AJ. It was one of the first things I showed to AJ before I even joined the company. And he fell in love with the game. I was like, oh my gosh, you have to, we have to do this. You have to come. And so I got to make the game. I did the graphic design. I picked out the artist who's a French artist named Vincent Dutrait. I did all the writing. I did most of the, de- I mean, now AJ did a lot of development. We, I mean, he solved a lot of problems we had with the game, but I think, and I wrote this on the back of the rule book. Like it's very rare for anyone in our industry to have the kind of opportunity that I had with Detective. Mm-hmm. It is fully what I wanted. We made almost no compromises. Wow. Wow. So in terms of what I wanted to do, 
other than like maybe some of the language because it was a lot more hard boiled and crass initially <laughs> yeah. than the original version. Oh gosh, I'm I I can be like when I get into this world and writing this kind of stuff, I can get like with some of the characters, I'll get so foul. Like I, I'm like really good at coming up with like really clever, dirty epithets. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like like it's kind of one of my skills. I mean, you you might have saw glimpses of it, especially when you're talking about like either characters getting it on or yes, something. I can yeah. get very cl- colorful with that and like kind of like 1940s noir parlance. I'm just imagining you like sitting in your office and like you're just like <laughs> and then your like wife walks by and she's like, what is going on in here? And you're writing a dirty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all the all the time. It's just it. I don't know, man. It makes me really happy. It's kind of it's, it's a weird <laughs> thing to say. But we but in in order to make the like the product a little more marketable, we mm-hmm. like I cut a bunch of that out. Also, I use the word dick frequently because it refers to a private investigator and no 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 there was probably like four to five times as many dicks in there as there are now really (laughs) you bet you never heard someone say that on your podcast um but uh aj when he he was like hey i know this means private investigator but you have put dick in here so many times (laughs) that some people are going to play this and they're just going to laugh and giggle all the time because they Anyway, so I removed a bunch of those and mm-hmm. other kinds of stuff. So, um, but yes, this game was top down what I wanted to create. It is so if you if you do not like it and there's nothing that if there's stuff that you don't like in it when you when if you get in and you play it then it's all my fault. So, <laughs> but if you but if you think it's great then I take most of the credit. <laughs> so it cuts well, both ways. Well, we were all talking about this before we started recording, but you were we were talking about reviews and you going to a lot of the conferences and Yeah. And uh it, it is it's so difficult to take all of that feedback and I didn't I didn't realize on the onset before we had you on like that this is like you yeah you in a game mm-hmm. it is me so do you the game has been out for a while now it's like you said you've been through different versions of it does it still feel like your baby like are you still super protective over it do you still like time to time go on board game geek and see a review about it or hear something some. about it honestly it's actually fun to sit here and talk with you guys about it it gives me a fresh perspective on it because i've spent so much time and lived with it for so long i'm kind of tired of it like in part in part because as a designer and maybe this is true for you guys too i like doing new things i like solving new i like creating new kinds of puzzles and so one of the complaints on all the expansions is they like start pushing the system in as many different ways as is possible. Like, like you're start, really exploring it. Yeah. There's all kinds of stuff. Like one, one case has like seven or eight suspects. Whoa. Oh, wow. And the chisel can unilaterally kill suspects off. <laughs> if That's they want to. insane. Which I wrote entire, all the strings of dialogue for them. And the chisel can just wipe them out and, all of that, like the players will never read any of that oh stuff. Oh my god! So that's that's like so. Yeah, I'm actually kind of I'm I'm tired of at least telling stories in this world because I've written like 17, 18, 19 cases now. Mm-hmm. Now I still love the system and I'm ready to explore other uses of it. So mm-hmm. I mean, we're discussing it. You know, putting taking that system and doing like a cyberpunk version yeah oh, be or you could do like a cthulhu version which everybody does cthulhu these days but you could do it you could do like a victorian sherlock holmes mm-hmm. version or something like that there's 
all kinds of different ways to go with it. So sitting here talking to you, it's like, oh, yeah, that is my baby. Yeah, I <laughs> did do so much work. It is like me in a box. It is everything I wanted to create. It's like my magnum opus, whatever, blah, 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 blah. So, yes, that is that is all true. But I'm always interested in making the new thing. So mm -hmm. I'm sure you probably have people come into your escape room and be like, well, I really like that one you did that one time. Why didn't, why don't you make another one that's kind of like that, but just a little different. Yeah. I've, I've unilaterally figured out how to, uh, you know, make all the people love all the games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have the secret sauce. So we'll talk, we'll talk, but you can't, right. You just yeah. can't. If, if you guys are anything like I am, if you're starting on and designing a new room, you want to do something different that you haven't done before. Oh, yeah. You, you don't want to, like, regurgitate the same kind of thing you've done. And you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater on, like, the good things Correct. that you've learned. Yeah. But, yeah, you do. You want to try a new format or a new story or... Yeah, I couldn't imagine like being the writer of Law and Order for you know the fortieth right. uh, <laughs> for yeah. however many seasons in CIS. Like, oh God, let's go <laughs> Google crime scene reports from Florida to see what our next episode's gonna be. <laughs> that seems like that seems like a rough, but 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 let's go down that like because I do want to talk about your new uh, big Kickstarter that yeah. was super successful. Tell us about that, but what from Detective Cities of Angels lives on in Final Girl. Oh, in Final Girl. Oh man, those are such different beasts. So prob they're not very similar. Well, at tell all. us, tell us a little bit about Final Girl, and maybe maybe we'll send you on a path of self-discovery okay. here in the here in the studio. I will say, we'll talk about Final Girl. I will say the game that I'm designing right now is in many ways the spiritual successor to Detective. So it does share a lot of its DNA. Cool. And it's getting ready to come out right now. It's it's very it's very interesting, it's very different, but also builds on a lot of the stuff I learned from this. Mm. So really, Final Girl is a solo game. It is a one-player board game, which I guess for your audience is not a, the shock no. that it is to some people. We're down with that world, <laughs> baby. We're in. So it is built on the hostage negotiator game that AJ designed, with the one that I backed on Kickstarter before I even met him. And we wanted to take that system, which is one of our most popular products, We've probably sold a hundred different thousand copies across all the different SKUs. And so we wanted to take that and turn it, do something different with it and thought like, Hey, this is the perfect format to do a horror theme mm, with. Yeah. And we, AJ and I love horror movies. In fact, AJ, even more so his, he had a business even before Van Ryder games where he was actually working in like the haunted house industry and oh, trying to cool. like oh, do stuff for, so he, he had his own haunted house, like in his garage, like he would design <laughs> his own thing and have people come through. So he's super into that world. And so we both love horror movies and wanted to take our love for that and put it into, put it into the solo game. So it's called Final Girl, which is off of the Final Girl trope mm -hmm. because uh, in horror movies, because who's left at the end of these movies? It's always a girl. Jamie Lee Curtis or at the end of Friday the 13th or Ripley and Alien. Sure. Like it's yeah. like it's so it's like the girl is the one left standing. So you play the final girl and you're playing against a different killer. Could be there's Hans, who's this like dude in this German pig mask who's carries around a giant sledgehammer and just smashes people with it. And then there's mm -hmm. like a poltergeist. There's like a creepy puppet master, like at a carnival. Oh, there's a this guy named Doctor Fright, which is our takeoff of a certain 
other person. It's called Frightmare on Maple Lane. Ah. If, if you, 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 I, I don't get it. You don't get it? Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> it's completely original. Completely original <laughs> idea. We came up with it ourselves. Um, no IP infringements there? None I, None <laughs> infringements. But he, you can only attack him in, like, the dream space. So you have to, like, fall asleep to attack him. Mm. Um, that seems very original. Yeah, very original. <laughs> but what is what is super cool about this game is the system we developed for it. Every you, you buy these feature film boxes, and each feature film comes with one killer and one location. So you can play Hans at the, like, camp, Camp Happy Trails. You can play the Poltergeist at Creech Manor. You can play Geppetto at the Bloody Carnival or the Carnival of Blood. And so each of these feature films comes with one of those, uh, a location and a killer. But you, if you, the more feature films you get, the more you can mix and match. Mm-hmm. So now you can play Hans in the, at the carnival. And it gives you like a completely different experience. And the Kickstarter we just finished up um, a few weeks ago was for season two, in which we have a five new feature films and we've got one that's like in space with like a alien kind of thing on a spaceship so you could play hans who is kind of like the the big killer in space i love it (laughs) which is just like jason x and it all still works with the first round of stuff yeah it all works that's all it's all super compatible really cool but it's designed to create these like over-the-top emergent crazy moments which is i think what has really been the big appeal of the game and Mm -hmm. we'll be playing it and stuff will happen in it that we've never even seen before like so for example i was playing one game i was demoing a game with it at a recent con we were at with someone who was just playing and he pulled up the girlfriend card, which is like your girlfriend is at this location. And she just happened to be at Makeout Point. The game just worked in such a way that she showed up at Makeout Point. And there was another just generic victim there at Makeout Point with your girlfriend. So he immediately was like, what is it? my girlfriend's <laughs> cheating on me already? I just found out she's here and she's cheating on me. Well, the next card he pulled up was your boyfriend card. Which then magically became the other victim at Makeout Point. Wow! A, oh, and this crazy wasn't love triangle. This wasn't planned. At, like this wasn't this planned at all. This just so happens. Funny. And so now he's like, "Wait, my boyfriend and my girlfriend. <laughs> like, apparently, I'm polyamorous, and my boyfriend and girlfriend are now cheating on me together with <laughs> each other." And I just found out about all of this. And then on the next turn, Hans immediately ran in there and like boned them both with the sledgehammer. No, and so then no. he was like, "No." <laughs> My girlfriend and boyfriend, I will avenge them. And that it was just like, it was just, of course, that's what happens in a horror movie, something crazy like that. And the game just makes those moments all the time. Well, that's super interesting because uh, it feels like you've kind of created this almost like infinite matrix of, of possibilities yes. with that. And that seems to work. But on the other hand, detective is, I don't want to call it limited and say that in a bad way, but it's more about like, narrowing your world yes. in order to win the game and 100%. this and this is about so that's super interesting that you've kind of dived and had a lot of success doing both so from a storytelling perspective they they're different approaches final girl is like an emergent it's like we hope but you kind of have to stitch the all the various things that happen in the game together yourself and sometimes stuff is going to happen that's like super random and it's like well how does that go with that (laughs) we're not trying to create like a logical or coherent story but there are emergent story moments and if you're really into the theme and really into the game and if you love horror movies you're gonna be the your brain and your imagination are gonna be the glue that connects those things and you're gonna tell a great story with this game 
but a lot of the onus is on you to put that together and really mm-hmm. be into it. Detective is much different in that there are very specific stories that I was interested in telling. Yes. And when you're when you need to tell a specific story, just like in a novel or a movie, there's no choice. There's like very little choice involved or none involved for the audience because as soon as you give them choice, they <laughs> they can change it and twist it and mess it. It's like and it's not the story any longer. So a lot of people, gamers in particular, will criticize the game because it's not replayable or not super replayable. The mm-hmm. chisel can the chisel can play the cases over and over and over and still have a lot of fun. But once you play the cases as a detective, you can't really return to it. Yeah. Much like an escape room or all, like, yeah, yeah, all of this stuff is it's one shot unless now, you have a really bad memory. You know what? I've got escape. I've got like some of the escape games that I played like two years ago. And I'm like, you know what? I could probably play this. I, again. I, think, I've, yeah. I think I've mostly forgotten everything in it. Maybe I'll remember a little bit. But yes, it's on rails and it needs to be in order to deliver the kind of experience you want. And Detective does that. I have specific stories I wanted to tell, specific cases. And in order to do that, it has to be locked it is it can't be replayed once you get to the end you read the epilogue you know the whole story you know exactly what happened and that's intended yeah but that's what's cool because in both scenarios like people love both of those things i love watching a murder mystery because i want to see the guy get caught and i want to figure it out and then i feel good about the closure and then you know there's some movies whatever with that open ending or that highly imaginative whatever that feels more like final girl where it's like I'm here for the sandbox. Yeah. You know, I'm here for the <laughs> the infinite possibilities, but I just love that you have in terms of the games at Van Wright, like you have both of those in your utility belt. Yeah. And, and I think that'll lead to some really cool stuff in the future because more often than not, it's like, you know, this is our vein and we're sticking to <laughs> it. But I just think, um, I think our world has so much to learn from board game world and vice versa and vice versa and vice versa. Like adjacent spaces just need to see more because then we're just going to see more cool fusion things like this. Yeah. And I absolutely love it. Yeah, absolutely love it. So what I was saying earlier was the game that's coming out. That's the successor, the spiritual successor to detective. It's going where it's actually a partnership with a company in Poland called lucky duck. Okay. And they have this, Mm awesome they're an amazing company and they have this awesome app assisted tech um and so they approached us about they'd love detective and they and i know the president really well and they approached us about combining our design and writing with with their app tech and so you were like yes yes (laughs) yes yes. so it's it's called the dark quarter and it's going to hit kickstarter probably end of March, early April, sometime in them that a date hasn't been decided exactly, but it's going to hit Kickstarter around then or another crowdfunding platform. I'm not sure if Kickstarter has been uh, chosen specifically, but it's set in the 1980s in New Orleans and involves like a fantastical world full of vampires and werewolves and all. Yes. But Mm. you play private investigators who are brought in to solve the kinds of cases that the police can't usually involved with something supernatural or whatever. Love it. And I wanted more of uh, an adventure kind of game. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I wanted a game where choice mattered and the character you played mattered. Often in these types of games, you just pick a character and it's all interchangeable with all the other characters. Sure. So, it's like when you play Settlers of Catan, you're blue, I'm red. And that's yeah. even the case in Detective. Yep. You're not like a specific detective. Well, I wanted the character you picked to matter. Love it. So I wrote the characters and they are completely entwined within the campaign 
It's a campaign game that Mm. takes place over a number of scenarios and they build on each other. It's a whole coherent story, but the characters are absolutely 100% a part of the campaign. You can't remove them from it. And you couldn't play this campaign with new characters later. Wow. It's like, wow. It's one and, done. and I wanted your choices to matter. So they're almost like, like if you've ever played the telltale games. Yes. Stuff, they're like quick time events in the, in the mm. game where you're like, you got 10 seconds to make this decision. And it has to do with which way you want, like who is this character and how, like which way do you want them to go? Mm-hmm. But their decisions deeply affect the story. My goal is by the end of the game for you to actually care about your character and what's going to happen to them. Because the campaign can end with victory. It can re- end with death. It can end with like, and it could end with different things for different characters, depending on the choices you've made. So I can only imagine how that's going to play in with the app assisted tech and the, like my mind is already buzzing trying to figure out, but it sounds to me like you're trying to pull in more of those RPG. Yes. Almost like D and D type of things like Zach's going through a campaign right now mm-hmm. of D and D and a lot of the conversations that we have, I feel like from him, I hear almost as much about his character as I do about yeah. what's going on. So I think that's really cool. And another really great adjacent melding of worlds. Like we're mm-hmm. going to get a little bit of mystery, which we're all about, but usually in most of the games that we play, we're ourselves. And, right. we're, and, 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 you know, and we, we're, uh, we've been drafted into some kind of secret agency because of our gifted skills to do, <laughs> right. to do X, Y, and Z. So we love the opportunity to not be ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Only you can solve this puzzle. Yeah. Only you. <laughs> Agent A. <laughs> <laughs> we always joke about how many different, uh, legendary secret societies that we belong to and have been a uh, joke about from. we're in 20 we're in so many i can we're see so like about 30 up on your wall yeah. <laughs> we don't know how we have time to do it all no. no but that's that's really cool and we'll uh we'll definitely be helping out as that uh kickstarter goes up mm-hmm. to put out word about it that will be a lot of fun i'm glad to see is that that's the next thing for Van Ryder games? That's the next releasers or something? That is. Yeah, that's the next thing. OK, so right. very cool. Very cool. Well, we need to wrap it up here. Evan, we can't say how thankful we are for you to be like our first yes. studio <laughs> guest. Well, we, I, uh, I feel I, I, I love doing this kind of stuff. And it's been it's been great. It's it's great to be in person with also I don't sound like real tinny over like a Skype or like a cell phone or something, which is I'm sure what most of your guests sound like, right? Everybody. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's very clear that Zach and I are here in studio and they are not right. Yeah. Yeah. So no, this is great. And also just, you know, Nashville, Tennessee love. It doesn't feel like we have a whole lot of creators here in Tennessee right. in these type of yeah. spaces. So Anytime that we can get somebody, you know, even in like the South, it's like, hey, let's do this. So, yeah, hopefully we this won't be the last time we see you on the yeah. show either. Absolutely. Cool. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that is uh, that's going to wrap us up for our questions for creators. Zach, how can our listeners find out more about the types of games that Van Riders making? Yeah, you can find out more about Van Rider Games at vanridergames.com. And it's with a Y, not an I. So Van R Y D E R Games.com. Or if you go to their social medias, it's at Van Rider Games. And you can pick up most of their games on Amazon as yeah. well. Yes. Um, always a great place to, if, if you need that two day shipping, you got to. Oh, have yeah. It. If you're in Tennessee, 
you know, I'm sure Evan would love people showing up to their physical address. So I'll be sure to put that in the show notes. Oh, right. yeah. Right. That is exactly what I would love. I would love just an influx of randos. <laughs> <laughs> please, please do that, Jared. Please do. I'll return the favor because I know where you guys work now. Yes. <laughs> Nobody can ever find this place. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Yeah. Oh me and and Zach, how can uh, how can people help us out on our journey? Yeah, there's many different ways you can help out Puzzling Company. The first is you can go support us on Patreon. Uh, we have three different tiers that you can sub at if you'd like to support us. Um, we get to interact with all of our group members in our Discord. We have some uh, monthly events. It's been really fun. We've been doing a puzzle hunt currently with some of our members. Oh, yeah, the Cryptex hunt, baby. Oh, yeah. We're doing great. We're actually getting a lot of puzzles done. We didn't make the first cut, though. True. That's okay. We're going for the second raffle. That's true. You can also go follow us on social media at Puzzling Company and the final thing you can do is wherever you listen to this, iTunes, Spotify, Google Stitcher, you can leave us a five-star review. We'd very much appreciate it. Well, Zach, I think we're going to leave all of our listeners in the dark for next week. I feel like we're always telling them, and this is, you know, our slogan is your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries, and we don't give a whole lot of mystery. So I'm going to just say you better be here next week because we're going to be covering another great game. I'm fine with that. All right. Well, for Jared and Zach at Puzzling Company, we'll see you guys next time. See you guys. Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Puzzling Company and online at puzzlingcompany.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, keep puzzling. This has been Rogue Media Network Podcast.